It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Hello, welcome to Time Enough Podcast, where we look into the twilight zone and beyond. This is Matt here, coming back today for, I think it's round three, Henrik Kuto. Is this round three or four on this? Do you remember? I, I forgot. Think this is my third one. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we, we stumble you in for sci-fi movies too, and I lose track of everything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the third one on, on yeah. uh, Twilight Zone. Okay, we're we're right smack dab in the middle of season two now and looking at back there, which two things come to mind. Um, Fievel Mouse singing his song in American Tale, which might actually be called back there. I don't remember. I don't remember off the top of my head, but that sounds familiar. (laughs) So that or or I don't actually remember what that song sounds like. Right. So it's more like an image in that case. Uh, Song actual song wise, I think of a. Dinosaur Juniors out there, which is a little bit different, but <laughs> a little, just a smidge, yeah, just a yeah. smidgen. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, let me just we'll just start rattling off into it, and I will do a bit of trivia for back there, which uh, doesn't have any musical numbers, but that's fine. <laughs> the original air date was January thirteenth, nineteen sixty-one, and the script is by Rod Serling. This episode was directed by David Oreck McDur. McDermott. He previously directed Execution, which shares a similar time travel vibe. He also directed two episodes of Gilligan's Island, which is important Uh, because Oregon is played by Russell Johnson, who had a long and varied career, but will forever be known as the professor on Gilligan's Island. He also appeared appeared in the episode Execution. I'm getting a little, getting our streams a little crossed here. John Zwolk's booth was John LaSalle. He was a Shakespearean-trained actor who made the TV rounds in the 1960s, though his best-known role would come later as Dr. Peter Guthrie on Dark Shadows. The music Uh is an original score from Jerry Goldsmith and is full of his eerie sci-fi vibes. Simon Pegg, I mean, Jimmy Linden, played the patrolman. He started as a child star for Paramount and RKO in the 1930s and had found his way to TV by 1960 on shows such as Wanted, Dead, or Alive. He only passed away this year at the ripe old age of 98. Wow. Yeah. Um, But yet, hey, was that just me, or did you feel like you are watching Simon Pegg the whole time? (laughs) I got those vibes a little bit, without a doubt. (laughs) I was just like, yeah, there's been a few recently. uh, I just recorded the one for... 22 and at the end there's like it's like the last scene of the episode I'm like suddenly like this guy looks like the engineer from Enterprise and, and this guy looks like Matt Smith but it's 1961 TV what's happening <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're all like just like one line characters as well they're not actual characters in the episode so <laughs> just like there you know that's like a um an unintended meta twilight zone for you I guess so Ooh, we're getting into the weeds now we are getting into the weeds 
Um, does this episode get into the weeds will be the, the big question, though. Um, so let's roll the ball into the correct direction and please give us the prologue. Witness a theoretical argument. Washington, D.C. The present. Four intelligent men talking about an improbable thing, like going back in time. A friendly debate revolving around a simple issue. Could a human being change what has happened before? Interesting and theoretical, because whoever heard of a man going back in time? Before tonight, that is, because this is the Twilight Zone. Groovy. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Groovy. Um, which actually, uh, that also was in the, the episode I did a few nights ago. They had the word groovy in 1961. I was like, that's groovy. Yeah. Oh, this one. I don't, I don't think they said groovy because we start off the four intelligent men. I mean, these guys are the enemy, right? <laughs> these are the banker scum of the world. <laughs> they, they, I felt like they were kind of subtle about why they were aristocratically rich, but they were definitely aristocratically rich. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, the, the, these are not our people. This is like four Barry Lyndons sitting around the table, you know? <laughs> Actually, I'll take that back. Barry, Barry didn't seem sharp enough to discuss time travel. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, no matter what, they, uh, what their lot in life, they're definitely nerds if they're sitting around talking about <laughs> time travel. <laughs> so, but by the way, I, I, I'm bringing up Barry there because I just watched it for the first time. Like, I, that oh, was wow. a Kubrick I'd never seen. And when I put it on, I'm like, the whole time, like this is a comedy, <laughs> which I never, I, I, th I thought it was going to be the driest thing ever. So that movie definitely has the wrong reputation because it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. And it's a fascinating story of how they made that movie because they didn't use cinema lights. They, they filmed it under mostly existing light by using a special technology and special uh, custom made lenses to allow them to film in such low light. Yeah, yeah. So you think technical, dry, Kubrick, but no, it's actually like a pretty goofy, weird movie. So yeah, uh, <laughs> well, I dig that one a lot. Now this one, of course, tries to give us a candlelight too, but um, you know, we know the studio lighting is still there. They definitely okay. were not using NASA lenses on this one. <laughs> exactly. No, they were not. So, um, although I did like the effect where um, our the, the professor, I should give him his proper name in this episode, which I've already said, um, Corrigan. <laughs> When Corrigan travels back in time, I did think that was a nice, cool, like, I mean, obvious effect, but still just it, it served its purpose. So I it liked worked it very well. Yeah. The camera slowly moves over to the streetlight and then fades to the streetlight being an oil lamp instead. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Now, I'm not jumping straight to a tripometer. This is a different question, uh, but you can meter it if you want um, on the on time travel inappropriateness of Corrigan. So um, I, if, if you're familiar with the past episodes, we have walking distance where Marty in there is like, you know, a full like five, like he does everything possibly wrong that he can in walking distance when he goes back in time. <laughs> we get um, the trouble with Templeton where the guy kind of rides with it, you know, and, and that might not be time anyway, but he he does it relatively like, in a smart way, I guess. Like he he's cool about it. Um, I guess Corrigan somewhere in the middle. What do you think? Well, <laughs> I did find it interesting the moment he realized he was back in time, he was almost immediately trying to change the timeline. Um, like without a single thought, just immediately, like, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with wanting to prevent the assassination of 
Lincoln, I suppose, but it's not like in the current timeline because Lincoln was assassinated, like the North lost the war or something. <laughs> like it's that was Lincoln's death was a tragedy of one. Like, oh, it's a bummer Lincoln's dead, but it's not like I don't know. I don't know. It's not like killing Hitler, you know, where where it's like, oh, well, that would save millions of lives. It's saving Lincoln's just like, ah, I always liked Lincoln. He wore a funny hat. I don't want him to die. Uh, but, but uh i i did like his his the, i did like the way they built up the realization that that was the night of lincoln's assassination um that definitely made me feel kind of um kind of a creepy vibe <laughs> when because you're not exactly sure when it is right away you just know it's before electricity and then they kind of build it up yeah well they foreshadowed exactly where he's going but whatever well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I guess like he basically does bungle it as bad as Marty, but he has more of a purpose. And walking yes. distance, Marty is just like totally like stumble bumming into everything and doing exactly the wrong thing. Yeah, uh, Corrigan, he he he's a man with a mission, and at every point of the mission, does like completely the wrong thing. Well, I mean, the the biggest immediate mistake you can make is going straight to the police. Yeah, they'll help you. I'm sure. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. But good luck with that. He's hanging out the aristocrats club. That's the uh, that's the welcome he he thinks he's going to get. Right. So but I mean, and from their perspective, you know, the town drunk is stumbling and screaming at them. So, you know, he could have he if he wanted to save Lincoln, the, the best way to do it would have been to uh, fake an attack himself on Lincoln once the show started before Wilkes Booth could have a chance. That way they would grab Lincoln and, and escort him out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah, I was like, go to the theater, you know, like set up Yell shop fire. or like, yeah, you know, do like something. Tom Cruise and Rogue Nation, right? Get get five <laughs> different masks or something, yes. you know. <laughs> masks is well, actually, masks is a different Twilight Zone episode, isn't it? But uh, whoa, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, he definitely for a person who's supposed to be smart, he is not playing this situation very well, even with um. You know, like he goes and he goes to his house, which is like a boarding house at the time. And after yelling at the lady for a while, you know, books a rinse a room, right? So, <laughs> which well, I, love, not... I, I love how quickly she's enamored with him when she finds out he's a professional who served in the military and all that. She just immediately just like, oh, like <laughs> move right in. Well, like like you mentioned, Lincoln's um, assassination to a certain extent is a tragedy one because the war was, I mean, Reconstruction had was just starting but the war yeah. was basically the treaty has been signed by this point so yeah you you could say lincoln maybe maybe could have finessed reconstruction better than you know johnson but um who totally stumbled over it and then <laughs> handed the presidency over to a drunk after getting impeached so things did not go well i mean you know people think the presidency hasn't gone well for the past like you know well the post obama years uh it <laughs> didn't go so well in the in the 1860s either i i wouldn't say it's gone well much at all yeah 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 what, what's the last what's the last president that didn't seem like a war criminal carter <laughs> oh man i think you're way too uh late in the game i don't know like the first half a term of washington <laughs> well he he committed his war crimes 20 years earlier <laughs> yeah well you know one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter that's the way that's the way it goes <laughs> this is uh, lincoln we're we're getting you know we're just because of time and you know human length of life you know we're all getting like a 
third, fourth, fifth um, telephone call, you know, for, for Lincoln, who knows what, what the deal was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, so, so yeah, he just basically starts raving like a lunatic though. That's really where, where he goes with it. Once he figures out that it's the night Lincoln gets assassinated. Well, I, I guess he do, he might get manic. Like I need to do everything at once, but what what was he expecting? Like I'm stuck in this time forever. I'm going to go back into the club and be back in my normal time of 1960. Is he is he expecting to get like killed in the past? You know? Yeah, I don't know what he. I mean, he definitely had no clue what was going on other than where he was and when, to an extent. Um, but he, uh, I thought, I thought it was interesting that he withheld telling people he was from the future. He was smart enough to know that was a one-way ticket to an asylum. Yeah, couldn't he just? I mean, they already had some kind of like intelligence at this point, right? I mean, you could say it's military intelligence. They had to have military intelligence, you know. I kept waiting for him to say, when they kept saying, like, how do you know this? I kept waiting for him to say, I heard a guy in a bar bragging about it. You know, he never said it. I was like, why didn't you just say you overheard people in a bar saying they're going to kill Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> and, and and then when he, you know, when he's in the station and, and he meets, um, geez, I don't even remember what the dude's fake name was anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, just the guy walks in and I, I, I don't. It's like, oh, yes, that's John Wilkes Booth. There's no way it's not, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny is when he walked in, uh, uh, he had a fake name and he claimed to be uh, some kind of a doctor. And he offered to take this bumbling madman into under his wing to try to help him. Um, I did think it was funny because my, my first thought was like, he kind of looks like the way I remember John Wilkes Booth. But then it, but it was more the flourish of the way he spoke. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a stage actor. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, Hello. I am a uh, doctor who could probably help this man. And I was like, that's John Wilkes Booth. Was yeah, the, man, <laughs> the man was in many plays. Doing doing his 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 most important acting role ever in the police station. That's right. <laughs> so and also Corgan, like like obviously he's he knows enough about the assassination like he knows the time and everything i mean i've already forgotten what the time is i'm i, I know a lot of history i'm good with history but i wouldn't i wouldn't remember the specific time what was it 825 i don't was that it i don't even remember anymore i think it was like 825 or something but okay. I, I, maybe maybe they taught it you know you got to remember that that was like 1960 so you know we had to learn like 30 40 50 60 more years of history than they did so maybe you know they stuck on it longer than <laughs> than our education did i don't know my school pretty much stopped at world war ii (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah for the most part uh, what's after that vietnam let's skip that because history uh, of course is all wars you know it's not like people live their lives and you can do history based on that no no not at all (laughs) no my my school like we we got a little ways into like the gulf gulf war and then that was it (laughs) it was like all right off into the planet you go yeah, I don't, I mean, we, you know, like we were watching on television when they, when yeah. the first one, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I ever had like actual schooling in the Gulf War, but I guess they're like, ah, eh, you saw it on the news. Got to trust the news. That's all real. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, when I was in high school, it was, it was the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. They didn't talk about that in school, you know, cause that was happening. Right. I guess they were like, oh, we have to explain to these dumb children why this current one's happening and, and trying not to mention it's because of greedy or oil barons and wanting to steal the magical black cube from the museum of baghdad 
I think to that open the up a Stargate. That's what well, I think. Always Stargate. The answer always is Stargate. always Stargate. Yes. <laughs> well, and, yeah. And, and, uh, I think that, you know, the smartest thing they could do is just explain to us why all the other wars happened, which would basically explain exactly why this war happened. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, they very seldom uh, deviate from that initial way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you got the John Wilkes Booth illustration in like every textbook, right? And this guy looks oh, exactly yeah. like the illustration. So, you, you know, and. By the time he'd gone home with the guy and the guy had served him a drink, he, he could have put like, you know, one plus one together, you know? Yeah. Well, it's it's funny. Uh, so a friend of mine, Andrew Heaton, he wrote this uh, science fiction comedy book. And it's like 11 short stories. And one of them is about a guy who travels back in time to stop Lincoln from getting assassinated. But he just keeps going back in time and killing uh, Edgar Allan Poe again and again and again, <laughs> thinking it's John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> So that's that's whenever I think of John Wilkes Booth, I immediately think of like, well, he did look a lot like Edgar Allan Poe. Well, he is also 50, what, 50 miles off the mark, isn't Poe Baltimore? Exactly. He wasn't that far off either. That's weird because you think of Edgar Allan Poe as, you know, being some guy speaking to you in like, you know, like an aristocratic British voice. But no, it would have sounded like some, you know, some Maryland hick. <laughs> Who was just obsessed with the concept of madness. I, lo yeah. I love Poe's writing so much, but he's just like, so then a thing happens that drives him mad. <laughs> like every story. And once we, we get to Lovecraft and uh, a similarly screwed up uh, psyche, you know, he's like, I can't, I can't go in about madness unless they're mountains. So he, he's more for the indescribable, the, you know, the unfathomable. Well, that's, that's the, that's the ultimate, you know, ease of writing. Uh, terror is beyond all human comprehension. All right. Anyway, um, <laughs> another man who probably didn't have a, a, an aristocratic accent who, but you would uh, think has one, he probably couldn't even talk, you know, uh, Lovecraft apparently like couldn't like, involve himself with other people properly yeah he had a uh, he had a lot of problems <laughs> we won't talk was it we won't talk about what his cat or his dog was named it's one of those i don't remember i can't remember i mean but you know you have to be more specific if you want if you're like what what's the racist thing about uh lovecraft i'd be like I, would be more specific let's work together <laughs> my my go-to is his pet's name which uh i yeah. won't say on air no, no, no. <laughs> no. because i'm not joe rogan <laughs> um I want to oh and then our next character i mean the one that stuck in my mind there are there are a lot of actors in here and some of them just had those you know red wiki names so you're not getting any info on them right but yeah. uh and and i see i can't I, all i can think of now is simon peg now to find the guy's real name or character's name oh he's just the patrolman i guess he doesn't really have a name but uh yeah and and did you notice his uh his badge number on his hat was it 666 no 69 oh Every yeah Okay, Every just, time he popped up, I, I saw his hat and went, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm patrolman 69, here to party. No, not, not here to patrol you. I don't know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that is where he, I mean, he did end up changing the time stream, right? Yeah. And that's actually, you know, I, I, cause at first I thought the twist was going to be that the guy who was quote unquote helping him turns out to be John Wilkes Booth himself. I also was surprised they didn't they didn't make it that for a second. I thought they were going to make it that John Wilkes Booth overheard him and went, hey, you're right. Lincoln's unguarded. I'll kill him. But they didn't go with that. So at first I thought the twist was kind of weak, thinking that the twist was just that that was John Wilkes Booth. So the real twist being that 
what he did didn't do what he wanted it to do, but it had an unintended effect of causing someone else that he knows to be rich and powerful was really fascinating to me. I liked that. And it it also um, made sure we know that even Corrigan's a bit of a scumbag because he when he meets him again and, and the man is now like a, I guess he's old money by this point. Well, no, you got to be like hundreds of years to be old money, don't you? Yeah, but he was because it was his grandfather was was who he saw in the past. I, I guess that's old money in in America, but in in Europe yeah. that wouldn't that wouldn't rate. You, no, you know, no, not even. Wouldn't even yeah, nobody would. People would be like, huh? No, nah, it doesn't count. Anyway, um, Corrigan still goes and starts talking to him like the help. You know, that's just like his default. If they look like the help, I'm going to talk to the, or if I think they're the help, I'm going to talk to them that way. Although he did seem fond of him for the record. Cause it's easy to, it's easy to throw a lot of shade at him. But like when the, when he poured coffee on him by accident, right at the opening, he was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He's like, Oh no, no, it's fine. Like, what is, what, what is it? It's just a little coffee. It's fine. He's like, I'm terribly sorry. He's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Like, well- well, that's that's kind of why I'm getting at because he is he is nice, but he's being nice to the help. So when he sees sure. him again, he still treats him that way, even though the guy's clearly, you know, sitting in an easy chair wearing what were they wearing? Normal suits or tuxes or not normal suits, right? They were wearing three pieces, yeah, three pieces. Three pieces. So I mean, and he knows he just traveled through time. So he again, just he's he doesn't he can't put numbers together at all. Yeah, he's definitely having a hard time with it. I did enjoy his response when he said, "Like, didn't you used to be a?" a- a doorman here and he's like well, i don't fancy myself a snob but i've been a member of this club since before you were born you know? <laughs> I, I get i get that now because i have like five or six year old students or, or you know younger or whatever and they're still like Gaikokujin! right which is you know foreigner in japan i'm like i've I've been on i've been in japan longer and you've been alive kid <laughs> who's the guy now <laughs> But I, I did live in a different country, so I guess they're correct about that little little bit of information. Great dishonor. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about the music a little bit because I think so far this is probably one of the best musical episodes for the Twilight Zone. Um, oh, yeah. The, the ones that really kick in, I guess, are... Um, in, this, in season one, we had a lot of like Bernard Herman scores, and this season it seems... And we, and we get some this season. We got some Jerry Goldsmith last season, but it seems season two is more of like goldsmith's trip and the music in this is like very obviously his music um i think it seriously adds to the dramatic uh the dramaticism of his time jump that we start getting like those star trek v'ger boom yeah I, I i don't they weren't doing them full like whatever tube they were using i think but you know it's the same idea yeah and and i i remember when i was watching this because uh i don't get a chance to revisit twilight zone that often until you drop me a message <laughs> and then i'm like all right back to the zone i go but uh i remember as i was watching it i was like man this music is is huge and full and and my brain was just kind of like i can't believe this was television during the early days of television, you know, when television was considered an inferior product to films. But man, the Twilight Zone was was way, way strong. Well, I guess that's where the formula. I mean, it's kind of a, um, you know, it's, it's two steps forward, one step back, pretty literally, as a third of the shows get original scores, a third of them get repurposed scores, and a third yeah. of them is just library music. So those, that third of original scores, they probably did have you know, they were obviously bumping the budget from the other 66% of the episodes for the 33 with the, uh, with the 
choice scores. And then, you know, again, they're getting like just fantastic people to do the scores. Yeah. I need to research. I'm not sure if this is actually where Jerry Goldsmith got the start to his career or not, because I can't really think of anything before 1960 he did. So, yeah, it would be, it would have to be around that time that he started. I mean, Bernard Herrmann, of course, was a very known quantity by this point. But uh, yes, in fact, it's like why in his case, like, why is he doing TV? So, um, <laughs> I mean, let's add that, a gambling problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and I, I just have the note here when they're in the um, the police station, just a uh, psychedelic harpsichord. That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love that. <laughs> um, any, any other big observations you want to throw out on this episode? I mean, the big thing I could not stop thinking about was the fact that he was he was the uh, he was the professor. Uh, the, <laughs> that was and, the and, thing I, I kept struggling with. Oh, I, in my notes, I did mention it a couple times. Same, same director, same actor. I think Jerry Goldsmith might have done the score for Execution. It's 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 kind of weird that they came back and like, oh, let's make we got all the same people. It's a year later. We're gonna make another time travel episode. So it's it just felt a little weird that they all conspired to do this episode. No, I did. And I felt like this was kind of like, I'm trying to think of the word. Like this was like classic twilight zone in that it was simple and effective and very of its time because back then it wasn't the giant shocks every single week. It was also the food for thought and the, huh, that's interesting or that's peculiar, which is very like, of that time of like the end of the fifties and the start of the sixties. Yeah. One of my regular co-hosts is for that, just gone to giving the triple meter scores. It's like a, huh? Or whoa, you know, yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't give me number. He doesn't give me numbers anymore. So, <laughs> um, I, I won't describe the plot of this episode cause we have yet, we're going to be there in uh, maybe two months. I don't know. It's later in season two, but I would like to super cut this with uh, the silence. You know, like where this episode ends, the silence begins, uh, uh, which, of yeah. course, has to do with another um, aristocratic club of bastards. And one of them, you know, deciding one is talking too much smack and, you know, making a bet with him. And that could have been Corgan. He's bragging about he could start bragging about his time travel. It's like, sir, I wish you would shut up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, I don't give a damn. Yeah. Ooh. So anyway, I want rich people say it to each other. Yeah, of course, those two episodes otherwise have nothing in common. So, um, <laughs> it, 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 but I don't know, it'd be kind of a fun flow, you know, like the 80s Twilight Zone where they started to pair up episodes in their hour block, you know, that's where. Sort of yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> I could dig that. Yeah. Um, let's roll into the questions then. The first one will be uh, who in this episode went into the Twilight Zone? Well, that one I think is pretty obvious is Mr. Uh, Mr. Kerrigan. Yeah, well, uh, oh, Corrigan, uh, Corrigan, but Corrigan, Kerrigan, oh, okay. who cares? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it was very clear he went into the Twilight Zone. I feel like they really gave us the moment when they had the light switch mm. to, uh, to a flame. So he's definitely the one in the Twilight Zone. Um, well, let's think of some of the ancillary characters because, yeah, obviously, I mean, they, they, he's he's you know, you see him get into the car and drive off to the Twilight Zone, basically. So, uh, other people, I was thinking about well i guess the um the patrolman technically wouldn't so much because he just got a bit of information which he used for his benefit yeah he just kind of was he was twilight zone adjacent yeah he just he's just got lucky 
Um, one person I decided did go into the Twilight Zone. Well, two people in the past, the uh, landlady, she experienced some Twilight Zone because she had this madman come and then charm her and then rent a room and then leave yeah. and never come back and never return without a trace. Actually, it makes you think of the um, did you ever see the Dana Carvey show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you remember the, the, the jokesters? They'd go and like they pay they'd like pay for their bowling shoes and, and then while the guy was going to go get them, they'd just like run off and you see them driving off in their car like laughing hysterically. <laughs> There's one where they're they're being um given like a, a a sweepstakes, you know, like you've won a million dollars and there's the big check and we've gotta go get a pen. Next shot is them like driving off in their car laughing hysterically and then like, oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> they, like they finally got it you know <laughs> so i thought that his uh run into the, his old house maybe smelled of that a little bit i don't know if he paid her yet if he paid her yet it would be exactly that but <laughs> i feel like that was that was back far enough when like uh credit was like literally people gave you the benefit of the doubt it was like okay you can move in you'll be paying on the first of the month you can't it's... google them <laughs> yeah yeah what are you gonna do <laughs> Of course, if you don't pay your rent, they may tar and feather you. So yeah, hell yeah, works out. Even thirty years ago, I mean, you know, the, the people could check. People would go a lot more on like good faith, right? Because you can't now. You just throw in a person's name. I remember around like two thousand three, two thousand four, people were starting to have the moral conundrum, like when they meet a new friend or get a new job, like should I Google this person? It feels like I'm prying. And now you're just like, yeah, of course I'm going to Google this person. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to Google them and their parents and their parents' parents. Come I'm on. Know their, I'm going to know their life's history before I meet them, you know, <laughs> or, or after I, our first meeting. I want the full leg up. <laughs> I want to know everything you said on Twitter for the past 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> Ouch. Okay. <laughs> Um, the other person that we do need to talk about is the patrolman's grandson, who is the um, current rich man. Because um, he is he. I mean, obviously, he's affected by the Twilight Zone. But did did he go into the Twilight Zone because his life completely changes? I feel like if you if he's not aware of, of the change, then it's not. I don't. To me, it doesn't feel like he went into the Twilight Zone. I feel like the Twilight Zone. Uh, it, the most affected is the person who's aware something is simply not right. But like, um, uh, and then the sky was open. That that brings back was that original guy that spilled coffee on Corrigan. Did he just like? Is he like no longer in existence at all? Oh yeah, he he's in oblivion now. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's kind of a bummer because all we get is a aristocratic prick instead, right? <laughs> he seemed nice enough. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, they all seem nice enough until they you know. Uh, until they start signing papers, <laughs> contracts, that sort of thing. Your death warrant? Like, what are no, they going to do to you? You know, like where they're going to buy the uh, tenement and kick everyone out, right? That sort of thing. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm just taking a um, very, like, you know, bourgeoisie up against the wall stance with this episode because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'll focus a second question on Corrigan, though, because that makes the most sense. Uh, did he deserve <laughs> his trip into the Twilight Zone? Well, I do think he learned a lesson, you know, like a history it, lesson. Yeah. Ooh. No, yeah, because he, <laughs> he didn't learn a, a massive moral lesson necessarily, but he did learn that, 
your actions have unintended effects. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That's what he really learned. Yeah, the sort of the butterfly effect thing, but it worked yeah. out a lot better for him than it did for um for who was in that? It was Jared Leto? Butterfly effect. Oh, that was uh, Ashton Kutcher. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so about the same time yeah anyway because he what does he end up doing like losing his legs suddenly or things like that yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's a pretty fun movie uh, it is. that's that's a whack one yeah <laughs> I, I haven't seen it since opening night. i do need to watch it again oh it's worth a review <laughs> yeah um so but this guy gets like the nicer version of, of that butterfly effect right <laughs> yeah this one was very it was very uh subdued in that you know nobody got horribly you know harmed except Abe Lincoln, but he was going to get harmed anyway. Yeah, he's not responsible for Lincoln's. Well, I don't know if you go back in time, you know someone's going to die and you fail to stop. Are you now responsible for the death? And you let the murderer dose you? (laughs) (laughs) You roofied him? (laughs) I mean, at least he tried. He just failed to stop Lincoln's assassination. Yeah, well, so the lesson he learned is the next time he goes back in time to, like, finesse things a little better. Yeah. You're you're for, you know, Fool, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I won't. I won't get fooled again, right? <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back around. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I feel like it was. Yeah, it was uh, definitely more of a kind of huh. One of the Twilight Zones, which, to be honest, I kind of like because entertainment now is so extreme. You know, it, it's so like. Every episode has to have the biggest shocks, has to have the biggest startling moments, has to have the biggest climax, has to have the biggest this, biggest this. But I kind of like that this episode was understated. It was kind of just a, a a strange experience with a few twists and turns and surprises. Yeah, because now we'd have, you know, intercutting of the patrolman and, and the land. Was it the landlady? Oh, okay. She did have a little more to do with uh, this guy uh, running around and, and trying to find booth and corgan i guess uh, whatever they're doing i don't quite remember so you know you'd be cutting between that corgan like pulling him his his, his roofied butt across the floor you know and, and booth doing his thing and it'll all be like cut to you know dramatic music and yeah very well, 24 oh yeah well and something i just i just thought about now that could make it a little bit more scary is what else has changed like, cause we only see him the moment after he comes back from the twilight zone, you know, comes back from the past and he's in there and he sees that the doorman is now one of the aristocrats. Like for all we know, everything was going to be different. Like and you that go back to his house and be like a hobo house now, <laughs> just a bunch or, of people like, you know, um, uh, what, 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 not, what's the word when you just live somewhere? Squatters. Yeah. Squatting. Thank you. <laughs> Or, or you know, you get home and just have a wife that's a total stranger, um, or, or uh, you know, uh, one of his parents died that didn't before. I mean, like, there's so many things that would outwardly look like it, you came back to the exact same world, but in reality, you shouldn't have been dabbling in things you don't understand. Well, that's what we have the flash for, because they just keep doing it season by season by season. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I. I really love the first one. I watched the second one. I watched the first half of the third and never got to watching the second half of the third. So I, I did like organically give up on that show. So <laughs> as long as it happened naturally, you know, that's right, right. I, I was, I wasn't like, you know, damn the show to hell and then turn my back. on. I just say, Hey, never got around to watching it again. Now they're on like season eight. Well, it's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Five season of Twilight Zone, always cool, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so you might have already given your your tripometer rating with your your hum, but if you would like to numerize that one or not, remind me, is this a one to five? That's one to five. Five is like hella trippy. Yeah, it's not. It's definitely a hella trippy. I would give this a solid three. Okay, because that, that's the more right I think right. about it. Yeah, the more I think about it, the more I do think it's a bit trippier than initially thought than I initially thought because now I'm starting to realize like the theater of my mind where I'm like, wait, but what else could have changed? And like, did he change everything subtly and he has no idea? Like, is life as we know it different? All of that is now running through my mind. Of course, that could just be my anxiety disorder talking, but uh <laughs> but regardless, yeah. Uh so no, I I I yeah, I think it's a solid, you know, medium to the you know, just a bit above the middle. So I definitely say three. Now, the mistake you made is when you said the theater of my mind, you didn't give it the John Wilkes Booth flourish. <laughs> the theater of the mind. I there. am a doctor. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> hey, maybe he was the doctor. You know, he was he was time lording uh, reality back to where it needed to be. <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, I did. I did like the little touch where he finds the handkerchief with John Wilkes Booth's initials on it in his pocket. I, I like that he brought something back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to bring something back, like Freddie's glove or a napkin. Oh, his hat. In this case. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a hat, wasn't it? Yeah. You don't the first one was his hat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was good. Uh, but I, I was mumbling it as you were giving it the three. But yeah, I, I swear, if people have taken on good day faith I, I make sure to solidify the number i'm going to give before the guest says it and yes i was <laughs> i was thinking firmly three because it's not that trippy it's a history lesson but it's got time travel you know yeah if, if disney's america had been built near washington dc you know it would have been the, the trippiest attraction there do you ever hear about that one no yeah the, the initial um they were like we're going to teach you about history but it's got to be a theme park so there's all this weird thing like we're going to build a working steam mill a uh, st uh, steel mill, excuse me, steel mill, and the roller coaster is going to go through it. <laughs> Which, because they were like, "How are we going to make history exciting?" Right? Uh, yeah. But then you know, Euro Disney was already like imploding, so they kind of had to give up on like half of their ideas of the '90s. So <laughs> that was one of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also like that the like the more i think about it, the more i think it is a little bit more of a morality play than i thought because if you think about where we were in the late in the end at the end of the 50s and the beginning of the 60s the idea that like you don't that uh your actions have unintended consequences and have unintended effects is pretty it speaks volumes when you consider like how everything was kind of building up to uh, a lot of uh oh, what's the word you know there was a lot of distrust and uh uh struggle between you know the foreign policy of the of the united states and civil rights and there were just a lot of things getting ready to erupt so it maybe it was you know a little bit more of a, of a wise thing to point out like look you don't always know what you're actually doing yeah like, you, you're wielding power you don't understand and who knows what it could do i, I guess that's why i was like you know because the twilight zone does quite a bit of time of like deconstructing the 50s and um yeah. it had a real low-hanging uh fruit with the the club of rich white men you know so <laughs> and they, they didn't really go for it but maybe subtly they did as in like you know these people are only here because of you know just random actions well you and, and, and that were, 
we're all here because of random actions to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. You could be the guy spilling coffee or you could be the guy with the scotch and, and the, the giant armchair, you know? Yeah. I mean, because even the guy, when he announces, you know, that he inherited his wealth, he's he's laughing because they're saying, like, how do you, you know, find the best way to make a bunch of money? He's like, I say inherit it. <laughs> like, <laughs> so at least he's honest, you know. I, I don't have people read the outros, but um, Rod himself did peg this one as having highly questionable results. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's kind of it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Okay, I guess I'm I'm ready to put this. Uh... Oh, sorry, just one. I just saw one note uh, where the patrolman and the landlady end up in John Wilkes' pad. You know, maybe that's a good time to search for evidence of premeditation instead of running off. Did they have no forensics in 1960? Excuse me, 1865. Ah, they didn't. They just pin it on whoever. It's fine. It was a policeman who wasn't doing any forensics whatsoever. <laughs> well, <laughs> you the know, landlady. I get it, but. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I was asking about Halloween up front, but Halloween is now in your past. So uh, is, is your November going to be creepy as well? Well, you know, I I live in a world where spooky is a way of life, especially thanks to my podcast, uh, Weekly Spooky, because we release new scary stories every week. And we've recently branched out into also doing what we call terrifying and true episodes, which are uh, true crime, paranormal, folklore stories. Um, so I'm always there. I've always got at least one foot in spooky at any given moment. Yeah. I mean, you can keep your pumpkins right for November. Uh for a little while, well, yeah. You know, <laughs> start rotting. You, you can make you can Thanksgiving can be pretty spooky, especially when you start thinking about the, you know, actual history of it all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There we go. Thanksgiving is way spookier than Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to like you know talk to family members of 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 insane opinions and and deal with the fact that people want to watch football all day. Uh, although I guess you probably do what I did back back then back there which is just hit the movie theater on thanksgiving <laughs> uh, that has been a long-standing tradition but oddly enough i never had any football family so it was just never it was all about you know just shoveling up that turkey and <laughs> and praising my aunt betty's cooking that was the most important element of thanksgiving i need your aunt betty because i never i never liked turkey that much maybe maybe she did it better <laughs> uh, she did it pretty well her husband was the one who usually made the turkey but uh, we got we had a good one because we had like Kentucky cooking for Thanksgiving, so it was like fried corn and chicken and dumplings and turkey and ham and man. Now, see, now I'm hungry. Thanks, cheese. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so get ready for. Actually, I'm not going to have any Thanksgiving dinner because um, in Japan, you know, why would we have Thanksgiving? And then most of my coworkers are not American, so there's usually like one person like, hey, what about Thanksgiving? It's like, yeah, just give up on it, man. <laughs> I mean, like, do they just have a commemorative dinner for the rape of Nanking instead? They're just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. Um, <laughs> uh, not that I know of. Um, and the Kentucky, the Kentucky chicken is held off until um, Christmas. Yeah, that's a Christmas thing. Yeah, yeah, you can't have it for Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I don't remember when Thanksgiving is anymore because it's like, hey, everyone's off suddenly in America. What happened? <laughs> it's it's the it's the 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 last Thursday. It's easy to remember because it's not even a date. It's no, just I, the last. No, Thursday. I don't. I don't care enough to even remember that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
This is Time Enough Podcast. We're Time Enough Pod on Twitter and Facebook. You can send me your weird thoughts if you want. Or you can uh, help keep the lights on, hear episodes a bit early, hear the weird rambles that proceed and come after episodes, and head for Patreon. You'll find us at Podcastio Podcastius, where you'll also hear us talking about sci-fi movies on Matt Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Uh, and there's some video game content with Luke Loves Pokemon, Monster Mash about Monster Hunter, and the Game Game Show, which is for British men screaming insults at each other <laughs> in a game show format. gotta go for that okay Uh, ready to head back there where is your back there where do you want to go back in time today oh man i uh, hmm. i mean really i just kind of want to buy some bitcoin in 2010 (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah i I think i bought 20 bucks of of crypto once and i think it's currently 10 bucks of crypto so oh well you got in late i guess (laughs) i i yeah well i just i don't care about yeah that <laughs> i know people are like oh, you need to care about but no, i don't really yeah i mean i hate maybe i hate to be like oh i don't care about money but I, I care about money if i don't have enough but yeah otherwise <laughs> i don't really care about money that much <laughs> fair enough <laughs> so my back there where i want to go today uh it's one of those i want to rock out at 1967 monterey days i think that's where I'm gonna go. My my that's where it's it's gonna turn from my uh from my light bulb into a lava lamp, man. <laughs> <laughs> nice.